Hello and welcome to Just One Corneto, a Green Up Morton podcast. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at The Morton Forum. All of our panellists appear in a personal capacity and as such, any views expressed are personal to them. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. This is an important message from the Tale of the Bank Credit Union. Remember that we are here for you. We share this message often because it's important. Don't get hooked in by loan sharks. Avoid the pitfall of debt solutions. Stop, take a breath and consider your option. Tale of the Bank Credit Union are Inverclyde's credit union. We are non-profit making and put our members first. Call us for a confidential chat before falling into the trap of high rate lenders or debt solutions that aren't right for you. Contact us via creditunioninverclyde.com by phone on 01475 734 655 or via our social media feeds and see how Inverclyde Credit Union can support you to save, borrow and plan for tomorrow. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Just One Tornado podcast. This is part two of our season review looking at the 2022-20 season. So we'll kick this one off. We'll look at January signings, the trip to Parkhead in the Scottish Cup and then all the way down to on the last day of the season. So joining me for this one, we have Mr Craig Dunning. How are we? I'm very well, Dean. Thank you. Yourself? Excellent. No, very well, thank you. Um, aye, looking forward to stuck into this one. Mr Chris Gods, how are we? Not bad, mate. Thank you very much for having me on again. Excellent. And Stephen McElhaney, how are we? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Pleasure to be in such a steam company this evening. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. So, tell you what, guys, we were looking at January. A good few signings have came in the window. What did you make of them? What was your, your overall take on the recruitment in January, Stephen? Um, some good signings in January, uh, I think. One of the big things for January that came out of January was uh, Lewis Strap getting injured. That was the kind of one one of the big things that needed to be addressed. Uh, I don't know if it was actually in January; it was maybe early February, but I think it was the end of January that Waters then came in. Um, Waters was solid the rest of the season, so absolutely ticked the box for me that one. Um, and the other big signing um, in January was uh, George Oakley, which was a a strange situation that. Um, the, the club tried to sign, very publicly tried to sign Nadia Chifsia, first of all. Um, the evidence the club put forward to the SFA was unacceptable in the SFA's eyes, that the, the work that the club had done wasn't good enough to get a work permit, um, which was a bit sad for the supporters that the, the club put us in that position. We, we didn't manage to get him because I think some of the supporters quite seemed quite excited by him. I was a wee bit, was a, an, that would have been an intriguing signing. I, I could see the benefits of it. It was um, a bit of a, a gamble for Chifty as well to come back and try and throw his dice in at Scottish football again. So that was a, a bit intriguing signing that he could have been a bit of a make or break thing. But yep, sadly, it uh, didn't happen due to the unacceptable um, evidence submitted. But that then um, led to George Oakley signing, which was absolutely... Great, great luck here, if, if that's the right term for it, that if you don't get your number one target, you get your number two target, and actually he turns out to have a very, very good end of the season, very good few months, um, relatively pr- prolific um, for this this level, embeds his cell into a squad for the season going forward, so yeah, he was a, he was a great signing as well, so overall I thought the signings were a couple of, a couple of really good ones there, to be honest, aye. What about yourself, Chris? Uh, aye, it was quite an interesting start to the month, um, obviously I'd just kind of started back at the Tilly. So um Calvin Miller signed on New Year's Day, is that correct? Or was first of the it was either that or it was the second. Um because he'd been in training for I want to say the best part of six weeks. He'd been in, in the club training for because there'd been a that that had all kind of started from Lee Griffiths being rumoured to, to be signing. Um and that Dougie had kind of thrown him his last chance in Scottish football. Um but obviously that 
was proven to be a lot of rubbish. Um, and that's when Calvin obviously got snapped in training because you had people going down to Park Lee looking to try and see if Lee Griffiths was training with the with the squad and they found Calvin Miller instead. And he, he turned out all right, I thought. Um, obviously, you've had the, the Chief Chi scenario. Uh, that was just confusing. Um, you don't really hear of... Um, what permit applications being rejected? But for whatever reason, that was um, that was the case. Obviously, we'd reported that it was thought that Gary Holt and Craig Levine and a few others were were in that, um, or that were on that panel that re- that rejected the call. So um, one of those two people obviously know Nadia Chief Chief very well. So they've got more evidence than. Oh, sorry, Craig Levine has more evidence than anybody on that panel to know what Nadia Chief Chief could do in the league. But in 2020 hindsight, the fact you've been able to get George Oakley in is very good because you look at the impact he's had, he's offered something of, of a different quality that maybe Morton haven't had in my time covering the club. He's very different to Bob McHugh, he's very different to Robbie Muirhead and the COVID season there wasn't really a striker. So he's, he's different to them as well. So it's all it's, it was some good recruitment. Up until up until that point, to get as sound a replacement for loose straps so late in the window again was a touch of not a touch of genius, but it was very very shrewd recruitment again from Doogie. Um, he's not gone and panic signed anyone. You you look at who was available at left back at that point. You naturally go and look at Jackson Longridge because of the Livingston connection and because obviously Jays had gone back. So. Uh, the fact he's went and looked elsewhere and thought that's somebody who matches my profile here in Callum Waters and it's it's worked very well. So uh, the January the January signings were good. It was just about getting embedded in, I think, and obviously the start that they had up until the cup. Well, I I think they had two games and then Oakley came in and then it was Waters after that. So yeah, staggered, but you'd see that it was for more long term gain than than just that January there. Uh, yeah, I think there's a. I think that's important to remember. Uh, looking back at January, is it's quite easy to forget now. Sort of the state the squad had been in going up to January because aye, we were in an excellent run of form over October, November, December. However, we were to some extent almost running with a sort of squad. You could argue of twelve or thirteen to an extent because there were quite a few games in that sort of ten game run up to up to the end of December, where we went unbeaten. There were quite a lot of those games where we would only make one sub, and that would be Caviar replacing McGratton if McGratton had started, or vice versa. So, and obviously at the same time you had uh, Daryl Connor was out injured and Effie Ambrose had taken his place. So I think when you look back at January now, there's absolutely no doubt that we massively improved our depth. And I would say probably the one signing that maybe didn't make sense on paper was was Ali Roy, uh, who didn't have the best reputation. But again, you have to look at it through that context of how short the squad was, particularly in attacking options, with Caviar going back to Livingston as well. We were in the position where, yeah, we clearly needed more bodies up front, and it was a case of sort of finding the available body. Uh, the, the one thing I would say is there was maybe a time at the start of January while those signings were still bedding in that there was maybe an argument, especially when you looked at his sort of going on that winless run in January that there was an argument the starting 11 got weaker while the squad got stronger and I, it was very easy to say that with hindsight. The, the one game I do look at there is Hamilton away where Katongo and McGratton have both sat on the bench while Miller and Roy started. Would it have been maybe better to ease the new signings in more slowly, not take both McGratton and Katongo out at once? But 
aye, overall, I think the window was a massive success. And aye, you've had some players there who've had a bit of a slow start, like Calvin Miller, but have ultimately come good come the end of the season. Brilliant. So, yeah, we travelled to Parkade, but say particularly pessimistic, but obviously this is a, a very, very impressive Celtic side. It's I come I think we compete well for competed well until the that travesty of a penalties award ends up being a, a comfortable home win. What did you make of that one overall, Chris? I thought it was it was tough because I was watching it from watching it from home on on the telly and obviously you get the you get that first opening ten minutes where um Morton are looking right up for it and as if that there could be a wee, not going to go as far to say there could have been a shock on the cards, but they looked the more likely to score in the first 10 minutes. Strap had two chances, Jaiko Tongos had a chance, um, I think they've had a chance for a corner as well. But you then see, even thinking about it now, the penalty is an absolute disgrace of a decision. Um, yeah. Like, you don't even see, I think it was Aaron Boy's shot, wasn't it? And you don't even see, no, it wasn't. Oh, doesn't really matter whose shot it was, but he, he, whoever it was didn't appeal for it at all. And I don't really see how you can justify somebody who's trying to clear a ball. You can't, you don't kick a ball and keep your arms down by your side, which is what like physics or whatever. I don't care. Aye, there, you, you don't there keep your hands point, down. You don't keep your hands point. down when you kick a ball. Yeah, he was making, a, he was making a clear attempt. He was making a clear attempt to kick the ball away. He's missed his kick and it's bounced off his it's bounced off um it came bounced off Birdie. It's came off it's came off Birdie and it hit him. But you're sitting there going, he's 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 put his leg up to, to stop the shot that he thinks is coming through him and nobody's not like if nobody's claiming for it, like I know it's by letter of the law and things like this, but it was just such a poor, poor decision. And then after that you could see FA's head's gone and a lot of a lot of heart that was in that opening 10-15 minutes had just been had just been lost after that. Um, it was a obviously you'd, you'd heard Celtic kind of complaining about that um, the lack of VAR decisions going for them in the in the in the weeks building up to the game, and then it was sort of like a bootlegger moment, wasn't it? Where it's that it's that wee clip where it's after the minute of silence at the Wrexham game, and he goes, "Oh well, you just knew that was going to happen, wasn't it?" Or something like that. You just knew that was going to happen, but. Um, it, that, I think you can take a lot of heart for the game because it was a period of, apart from that penalty, it was a period of 10 minutes going up into half-time where Celtic really kind of turned the screw and then you limited them to, to not a lot of clear-cut chances in the second half and they scored right near the end, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, but it's not, it's not as a result to define your season on anyway, to put a long story short. Aye, that um, was just such a disappointing day, that winter. Um, just the way that happened. Like... We got beat. What did we get beat? Five now? Five? Mm-hmm. Aye, we get beat five now, but it felt so much more like unjust, even though they were clearly the better team than us and stuff. But like, I think everybody, Morton fans, even Celtic fans, um, people who support none of them teams and watch the game, would have felt so much better about the day if the referees were just human beings and not this stupid VR robot of looking for any absolute millimetre of a decision that they could give. Um, apparently if it was stupid um, my dad used to referee football and I might be wrong here right how many laws of the game is there 17 Dean you should know that I think there's 17 
I think they're 17 laws of the game, right? And he used to say that, that common sense was law 18. It's the unwritten law, law of the game that a lot of referees say. I think it's 17 laws, so law 18's common sense. And I'm just like, it was the complete and utter, there was no common sense, as Dodge has said. Like, it was just so disappointing. Um, as Dodge said, we, we, we started really, really well. Um, one of the big positives for that, that I think did keep going on as the season was, it was, it was a very positive Morton support. We got beat 5-0. Um, we hardly got a kick of the ball at times of the game because we were playing a a quality opposition but the supporters were very very positive we sung clapped the players all throughout the game even uh, Aaron Moy scored for Celtic and they started playing Daddy Cool through the PA system the Morton fans just re- reacted straight away singing Cami Cami Blues the fans just really did back the team all the way to the 90th minutes that was really positive and that kept going to the end of the, the game as well what about yourself Craig? <laughs> I look fundamentally when you're a championship club and you go and play Celtic at Parkhead your own performance doesn't really have that much of a bearing on the result in a way. You are always going to be at the mercy of if Celtic turn up, then there is going to be very little you can do about it. That could be in terms of this defeatist or pessimistic, but it's it's the reality of football when there's such a disparity between two teams. And I we've been lucky enough to see one of those one in a hundred, one in a thousand games where at Parkhead where it's gone a different way in the past. But this is also a very good Celtic team. If they turned up, we were always unlikely to do anything, regardless of whether we were at our best or not. And I, that was how it went. Uh, yeah, we've lost some poor goals, but I, the team have clearly been rattled by the way that penalty's happened. And l- let's just say for the record, there is no interpretation of the handball rule, not the current rule, not any handball rule that has existed before, under which that is a penalty. Nope. V- v- VAR is supposed to be there to intervene in the case of clear and obvious errors by a referee. All VAR did there was create a clear and obvious error. There was absolutely no question of that being a penalty. Thinking it as a penalty as a referee making a clear and obvious error. And two referees decided that was a penalty. Uh, so aye, I would say vindication for Morton and uh, no one else in a way. Uh, among the 42 SPFL clubs, we were the only one to vote against it. Uh, we were yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it states quite clearly in the rules that a penalty should not be awarded if the ball actually hits someone's arm having cannon. I can't remember the exact wording, but it is. If the ball strikes someone in your team and then bounces onto your arm, it should not be given as a penalty. So, yeah, VAR took however long to arrive at the wrong decision, which, yeah, an absolute shambles. But I think exactly what you'd said, even in terms of the day out, yeah, you know, the support were excellent. We went up in numbers. It was loud. It was noisy. I, you know, it's from that point of view, it was it was excellent. And I think probably underlined the progress that we'd made this year and just the number of people that we took to Parkhead, I think, was really impressive. So game after, it's 2-1 approach at Capolo. What did you make of that one today? Uh, aye, this was a disappointing one because that run of games at the sort of end of December, start of January, when all of a sudden a run of 10 without a win is turning into... Sorry, a run of 10 without a defeat is turning into a run of 6 without a win. There was a quirk of the fixture list in there. We'd had a couple of home games called off, and actually five of those six games were away from home. But you're looking at that, our growth at home, new signings starting to bed in, George Oakley, I think that was George Oakley's debut as well uh, that, that day against Labroth. And you're thinking, right, this is where we kick back on. This is a home game. Weird run of fixtures out, out the road. And yeah, we have the ideal start. And then that uh, was a really, really dreadful performance. I think especially the fullbacks that day. Because uh, Alex King got his chance again with Lewis Strap out. And I think that was the performance that ensured that uh, 
and they definitely would be going out and signing a new left back as he did with Waters if he wasn't planning on doing it already. I think yeah, that that yeah. was definitely the moment where it was beyond all doubt that that King is a an excellent young player, but absolutely isn't a fullback. Yeah, absolutely, and that was maybe a something of a death knell for for Carlo Pinatello's modern career as well. And uh, I'd actually thought for, for all that Liam Grimshaw was obviously a significant upgrade. I'd thought at the start of the season before Grimshaw came in, Pinatello was actually quite decent. I was looking forward to seeing more of him, but I ended up being that Pinatello was the one to drop out for Grimshaw to play at fullback when there was maybe an argument that Grimshaw could have been coming into midfield. But yeah, so then a few months down the line, he gets his start at fullback again, and I he had an absolutely horrible day that day, and uh, I we were we were really weak out wide, and Abroth exploited it as they've sort of tactically got the better of us many times this season. I it was uh, despite that early lead, I think it was apparent quite early in the game that that they were the better side, and it was going to be a big challenge to to get a result, and I that's how it played out. What about yourself, Stephen? After that. No, it's just about a shit time, really. Like that was seven of eight, I think, without a win in all competitions. If I'm right, um, penultimate game of that eight-game run, couple of decent results in amongst that. To be perfectly honest, we played away to Wraith, where two down and drew two each. Yep. The game, the game went right before Christmas. That was a good point. However, it was one of them ones that actually the way the second half went, we probably should have won that game. But a good point. Then the last game, of that eight-game run away to Inverness, we drew two each. Again, one of them ones on paper, you maybe say a good point, but again, you might think you should have got more out of it as well. But yeah, it was. I just kind of remember that time being a bit of a, bit of a crap run of form. I just kind of needed to get that one to get more, um, which was then to be seen with the fact after that, that we run, that's what happened. We kind of won a few games in the spin, so uh, it just wasn't very fun. So we're then looking, game up at Inverness, score, Robin Muirhead scores, 10 minutes to go. Get puts two one up and we can see the late equaliser. What were your memories of that one, Chris? My memories from that game are that Morton were really, really disciplined. Um, that was my first time back actually watching them in the flesh. Funnily enough, since the Inverness game at Capelo where they won four 0 um, it was dream start. Um, obviously, Calvin Miller scored for from what 25, 30 yards. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I into the bottom corner um, and. After, like in the first half made Inverness look very, very ordinary. Um you could see that Doogie was very much going from the David Martindale style of you defend from the front, everybody pressing, keep your shape, be disciplined, restrict them to very little. Second half started a wee bit slow. Um perhaps I think no, it was a, no it was the second one. Sorry, that's me thinking out loud now. Um I Scott Allardyce obviously um has a pop shot for distance, goes through a sea of bodies, Brian's parried it into the path of Billy Mackay. He's not seen it, to be fair, because there's that many bodies in front of him. Morton are just trying to weather the storm. Um, and then, obviously, like you said, Robbie Muirhead scored with 10 minutes to go. Really well worked goal between himself and I think it was McGratton that played him through, wasn't it? Um, yep. So, to then lose that goal with four minutes to play and the type of goal that it was as well, it was a nothing ball into the back stick. Everybody seemed to stop, not knowing what to do. And then, Brian's came out and Missed it totally to give the, the boy Kearns a, an open goal, really. Um, so, overriding memory is just it was a missed opportunity because that really should have been three points. Um, and now, in hindsight, I know folk are spewing about um, the Abroth game and the, the game at Dens Park, but that's another one where you're sitting going, should have had the points wrapped up there. Um, and that three points could have been the difference between fifth and second, as it's turned out, you know. I think as well that 
that exactly what you're saying there about the, the defender from the front and how disciplined we were and, and how much we imposed ourselves on Inverness, that was probably the biggest takeaway from that performance. And obviously the, the Calvin Miller goal exceptional, but I think there definitely is a point in just underlining how well we pressed from the front or how well this squad pressed from the front this And that was, I think that performance up there probably typified that. I think then kind of next point I'd wanted to move on to is then the next four results. So three one again, three two against Queen's Park at, at Chapel, follow that up by beating Dundee one 0 We then kind of late come back to Cove and then we fight our way back from from two two away at Oakview. What's your kind of your memory of that week kind of mini run then today? It was it was excellent and again. As we said, you had that run of six without a win league, and you're like, right, this is us. We're, we're back, <laughs> basically. Um, the one I actually took most heart from in that run, like both the, both the Queen's Park performances, discounting the first half hour, really away at away at Queen's Park, I thought we were excellent in both those games. But the yeah. the performance that actually gave me the most heart was Cove. The way we came back yeah. in that game was was terrific. It was it was reminiscent of. Of some of those games in the fourteen fifteen season, where I the, the I just that, and, just, just, just that late rally and feeling of momentum, and even when you equalise late on, as soon as it happens, you go right. We are absolutely winning this game. Uh, yeah, and I there was just such a feeling of momentum at that point. Um, I at this point you're feeling now right. The new signings are starting to embed. I know there was a fair bit of discussion at the time of can we accommodate your head and Oakley in the same team? Are we sacrificing too much in midfield? Are we losing a bit of crescent having both of them? But uh, that Queen's Park game at home, the 3-2, the two of them were terrific that day. I thought Muirhead especially, that was one of his best performances of the season. He yeah. was sensational that day. And I I would say as well, um, is, <laughs> is, uh, this the, uh, is this the appropriate uh, place really as we've gone from six without a win to three wins in a row to uh, for me to break out the McGratton stats. I mean, you can just bear in mind my finger will hover over the mute button. <laughs> Noted. And well, uh, obviously there's there's a caveat to open here because um, you, you look at a game like like the Cove game, and yeah, it's a game that McGrath started, but he's missed an absolute sitter at nothing each, and we're one 0 down when he's gone off, and then the subs who've come off the bench have had terrific games as we've. As we've turned it around to win two one, so uh, no one is saying that Lewis McGratton is like an Alan Jenkins level figure who the team cannot play well without here. However, I think it's worth noting that uh, yeah, we're far more likely to win with him on the park. And I to, to to take into account games like that Cove game where uh, I he's been in the starting eleven, but the turnarounds come after he's gone off the park. I've actually got it broken down into minutes here rather oh, than sure. rather than starts. Yes, oh don't, don't oh, worry. So. Uh, so, uh, Lewis McGratton, <laughs> uh, this season in the league, played 1,388 minutes, which is about 15 and a half games. So, in that roughly 15 and a half games, with him on the park, we scored 33 goals and conceded 16. So, that leaves you 1,852 minutes without him, which is roughly 20 and a half games. In those roughly 20 and a half games, we scored 20 and conceded 27. <laughs> That's a massive disparity. On, on both stats. So with him on the park, we scored every 42 minutes. Without him on the park, we scored every 92 minutes. That's far too big a disparity to be a coincidence. We are just a far more coherent attacking team than him on the park. And that's not a slight on any other attacking player at the club. It doesn't mean he's necessarily brilliant. And there were absolutely times that he was dropped, like after that Cove game, where 
I he was dropped because his performance hadn't been good enough and there were players waiting in the wings to take his place. But I, I really think that we should be looking at how we get the best out of Lewis McGrattan next season because we are, when he's on form, we are absolutely a far more coherent team, both in attack and defence, I think. I think as the season's went on, we've actually, I think we're actually now at a point where Miller, I think Miller, Muir, Miller, Okitongo is the first choice for us heading into next season. Whether, whether we want to go with Miller on the right or not and keep McGrattan on the left, I'm, I'm not sure what the kind of shape will be, but... I think given performances in the last quarter of the season, that would that would be your kind of front for me with when you're heading behind. But I think key point with McGratton, I think with players like McGratton and the energy he brings to midfield, the amount of times that we win the ball higher up the park, the point of me, I can't remember what it was after kind of very recently, but the difference that he makes in terms of the amount of things that we can turn over the ball is quicker. Those quicker transitions to attack that we are excellent at when you look at the movement that we've got in that final third to get balls in behind and catch teams unaware. I think McGratton is a massive, massive part of that. I think he does make us better defensively as well as offensively. And I, I'm not surprised by those stats, but I would say as it stands and how we finish the season, he's not, he's probably not in the start of the season heading into next season. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Yeah, I think the last few games of the season, Calvin Miller's been absolutely fantastic. And I, there's no other player at the club who can offer what Katongo does in pace and power. So, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. Um, but yeah, it is, you know, we've spoken already about how important this team's pressing from the front is. And I think you look at some of our some of our winless runs and we've maybe in those we've not had McGratton in, in the start of the living. We've had Robbie Crawford playing deeper rather than rather than being the most advanced of the of the midfield three. And I think you can do without McGratton in the front three. You can do without Katongo in the front three. You can do without Robbie Crawford off the striker. You can do all those things in isolation. But there were sort of some games in that run where we had say Miller, Ali Crawford, and Muirhead behind Oakley, and we just couldn't press the same way. You yeah. could take you could take one at a push, even two of that three of McGrath and Katongo and Robbie Crawford out of those positions and get away with it. You could not take all three of them. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's spot on. Um, I think the moving I think moving Robbie Crawford out of the central area did have a massive impact on us and those kind of pieces you're talking about where we were struggling because the energy that he brings as well and is, if you look at if we've got you know Magnaton, Muirhead, Crawford and Katongo as that kind of as that counter facing unit with Oakley up front, that is very, very difficult for any team at the cha- in the championship to play against. And when we win that ball back, all of a sudden we can break and get it into McGrath and into Katong and slip it through to Oakley. I think we Emery absolutely found an excellent nucleus in there. I think it gives us a it gives us a massive advantage heading into next season to know roughly what base shape, what base system and how those players play and how those players impact opposition teams against us because I think we're probably one of, if not the most difficult team to play against this year in terms of those attacking transitions, how good we are in midfield and yeah, just just how quickly we can get the ball forward after winning it. I think I've got a couple of things to say on what Craig was saying and first of all, like I, I don't disagree with a lot of what Craig says, but I don't think I've ever um seen someone like cling so tightly to an argument as Craig with the McGrattan thing. Like it is the it is the hill he will die on. 
he has a thing for McGrattan. We've all, we've all had things for players um, in the past or in the present, um, but Craig's definitely got a thing for McGrattan. And as I said, I don't disagree with a lot of what he says, <laughs> but it's like, it's like, see, like, seeing like 40 years' time, I'm ho- obviously I'm hoping that Lewis McGrattan has like an absolutely fantastic modern career, right? But hypothetically, if he was to have left tomorrow, uh, if he leaves tomorrow and he goes down as just a player that was there for a couple of years, and in 40 years' time, you're thinking back on him. If somebody goes, mind that guy Craig Dunning loved, then it'll trigger people's memory. <laughs> because I'm now starting to associate the two of them together. <laughs> it's getting to that level that I'm now associating like them as him as like Craig's player. Um, well, which could well, hamper Lewis McGrattan's career. Do you know what I mean? Maybe something Lewis McGrattan's career. You might all of a sudden find the poor, the poor guy's put a transfer request in at any club that Craig Dunning does not support. He's like, anyone with other 41 in Scotland where Craig Dunning will not be there every week, then I will go for that. Um, but no, I mean, I it's possible he, is right. he, is, he is right. I don't go into the, um, the detail that Craig does, but I, I do think he does have a big impact on the team. And he is a good player and he's getting better, which is the big important thing. We've seen it with some players in the past that they come through and you think, aye, he's a player. Then he drops off a bit and you think, mm, maybe it was just a wee purple patch and he's maybe not had it. McGrattan's, I, I feel he is getting better. He's whatever the manager and Andy are teaching him, obviously, week to week. I do feel he's, he's yeah. a better player than when they came in, um, which is what you also want to see a young guy. early 20s, he's only like 22 or something, maybe. Um, yeah. What you want to see a young guy that you hope in another year or two, he's even better again. He's, he's, he's instead of playing whatever the exact minutes was, Craig put about roughly 15 games worth. You're hoping that next season maybe it's 25 games worth or a bit more, whatever, and his career continues to progress. I think Craig's actually quite right there. But the other big point... Um, was about well, I think as well, sorry Steve, okay. too, before you got even talking about McGrattan and obviously we kinda of talked about him missing games, it's also what sixteen starts and fifteen sub appearances. You look thirty one game involvement, so he's just twenty two, that's massive. And yeah, do you know it's it can only it can only benefit him. I think he's in a point he's at the point where next season he really needs to throw the gauntlet down and absolutely force his way into the first eleven every single week. Yeah, I think I think that's and, and sorry, can I just say before you carry on your serious point on the uh, idea of uh, <laughs> in, in, in forty years time uh, mute, game, yeah. that that's the guy Craig Dunning loves. They might still think it's Alan Jenkins you're talking about in that scenario. So. <laughs> Fourteen years on, I still bring up Alan Jenkins a lot. So you do, yes. <laughs> so you now know that you'll be getting jealous for the fact that uh, Lewis McGrattan's in the love child player. I, I hope, I hope Alan Jenkins doesn't listen to this for a number of reasons. I hope some of our ex players don't listen to our podcast, right? But on this occasion, I hope Alan Jenkins doesn't listen to this because imagine how hot your feelings would be that after like whatever he's left the club, what thirteen years ago, twelve years ago, or something. That he's like, I've been replaced. It'd be like that bit in Toy Story when, when Buzz comes, wouldn't it? Would he? It, it'll be the other way about. It's going to be thank Christ he started talking about somebody else. <laughs> I what should have happened in Toy Story was Woody sitting going, Thank fuck, I've got a day off here. I can just lie in the toy box where the rest of the troops. So Alan Jenkins might be like, Finally, maybe that guy will stop sending me letters now. <laughs> I prefer not to speak. Anyway, my, my other point I, I wanted to make was about Robbie Muirhead that Craig touched on about that game. Um, Cove, he came off the bench. Uh, the pennant was given as an OG, which I think was harsh. I actually thought it was over the line, but anyway, different matter. Uh, that was in a. On what world was that over I the line? I thought it bounced over the line and, and then what, hit the. Not bounced behind the line, hit the keeper. 
No, it was off the bat. Aye, but it bounced down on the direct right his arse. Right, okay then. Uh, right, well, that's why it was really funny. Well, poor, poor goalkeeper then. But um, I say poor, poor, poor goalkeeper Fox, Scott Fox, yeah. wasn't it? But uh, <laughs> aye, that, that was the perfect example, right? And I don't want to get too sensationalist here, right, and compare him to someone of absolute icon status. But I'm going to do it anyway, right? See when you watched Scotland 15 years ago, right? James McFadden didn't score in every game. He scored in about one in three games, right? He drifted in and out of games. But you had this kind of, because he'd scored some big goals, because he'd scored some great goals, and I'm not saying Robbie Muirhead has scored away to France, right? I'm not saying that. However, he had scored some big goals and he scored some great goals, and you always had this feeling in him of, ah, Fadil Powell's at a hole here. We need a goal. James McFadden's on. Get it by him. Robbie Muirhead has become that this season. Right for me anyway, you guys might disagree, but he's become that talisman like figure that he started to as the season was going on. He was dragging us through games. Like I know, yeah. I know that when we get to when we get to the Cove game, that the ball came out of like. Oh, it was paramount to the, that. The, the, I, I, what you're saying? Sorry for interrupting. I, I, I don't disagree. I think you're right. Um, like we get to the Cove game, it came out like twenty feet of fog, right, and things like. That. But it was him that was dragging the team forward to get that goal. Like in a number of occasions, as that as the season went on. Um. And no player deserved success more than him this season. I thought his improvement, and he did become that kind of talisman like figure of it. As I said, similar to James McFadden, similar, to, I would guess James McFadden scored something like 15 ish goals and 48 caps for Scotland. Um, Rob, that's spot on. That's terrifying. Is it 15, not, if you've not looked I know at it. Not. I've, 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 I've just looked it up. Is it not 49? It's 48 or 49. I remember there was a joking thing about how they should play a cut of friendlies and get him in the Hall of Fame for the 50 caps. Um, yes. But and I, knew he'd, I knew he'd roughly won roughly one of three. And Muirhead is slightly less than one of three. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of similar um, level. And I think that's really testament to him that he did become that that figure and when you were talking Dean about the front three your front three being a, a preferred of Oakley um, Miller sorry and Katongo on the wings uh, I, I, I might go against the grain here but I think Robbie Muirhead is is our best attacking player so to me oh, I have him in the team I want him in the team no, but, but what, what I'm doing if I'm the manager is I look at I look at that first and go right I've got four attacking positions here um, Where who's the best player and what's his best position and he's lucky that Muirhead can play in that, yeah. the trend so out wide that, and out and out. That, yeah, that maybe goes against him, but but to me, the manager might be like, well, he might play here, he, he might do it. That might go against Rob Muirhead that he can play different positions. But I think so, some of his performances at number nine this season have been fantastic. Um, and he yeah. has dragged us forward, so who knows, maybe go, go to number nine. But yeah, I think we're in a good place going forward, actually, which particularly because we've got him and George Oakley. They are two very, very good options for next season signed up. Um, but I just wanted to have a wee bit of... Um, not to the level of Dunning and McGratton, not quite to that level, but I just wanted to have a wee bit of that with Robin Muirhead there. Well, I'll say oh, as well, on, on. just on the, on the McFadden comparison, uh, Robin Muirhead has scored at least two goals this season that were better than McFadden's goal in France. Love that for you, Dunning. It, it also should have been three. You think of how close he is to scoring that free kick against Inverness. That, it should have been three. Not because uh, the, the free kick at Furhill and... Yep. Uh, God, what, what's the other one? I've just had a complete brain fart. Free kick at home, yeah. We played away to Dundee, you scored yeah. a cracker. Aye, that, the Queen of the South as well. Yep, yeah, that's one. Okay, we've got three there. Yep, yeah, thanks very much. That, that, that um, free kick, that, and it, cool. I know it's like complete and utter if your auntie had balls, right? I know we weighed a lot of that this season, but that free kick you hit the bar from about 804 yards out. That yeah. I, I've said a number of times. How bad is it that we need to say which one? If, if exactly. that, that one against Inverness, if that went in, 
And again, I know if, 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 if I like, I like maths, right? But if that went in, that would have been the greatest goal I've ever seen life. That's how good that hit of the yeah. ball was, which was mental for the amount of football games yeah, I've been and, in and, my life. And that's the thing. Thank you. Those, those, yeah. those in your head goals were unstoppable for goalkeepers, whereas yeah. uh, McFarland <laughs> in France was a goalkeeping error. Now, yeah. there's a hill to die on. Did, did Muirhead oh, not yeah, have a similar one up at Cove as well? That yeah, he did. Back I. in December. No, December, no. Because I remember vividly Gareth sending me a message back when. It was the first away game, and he's went, Robbie Muirhead with the top for Hill, if that would have gone in. I think he must have cannoned the ball off the bar from, or the post, maybe. He's, from he's been a one-man one competition this year. And I think it, I think everything you said there, Stephen's absolutely spot on when you look at difficult moments of the season. And I think, we've not obviously, we've not gone to it yet, but you look at the drawdown at air, where we've been down to 10 men, we're away at air. It really, again, if we wanted to make the playoffs at the time, it was kind of billed as a must-win, especially after the Inverness game. And he deserved to be on the winning team that day. Because he was, you talk about players that go and put in a double shift. When we went down to 10, he was absolutely a double shift. He's trying to pin back, he's trying to pin back McGinty, he's trying to link, he's trying to get the ball out wide into McGrath. It, it was an absolutely, he was like a man possessed. And I think the fact that he's done so well as number, as a number nine, we've then brought Oakley in to give us another dimension, which excellent signing, Oakley did really well. But to then adapt to that and go back into the number 10 and to then adapt to being a number 10. I think absolute volumes about not only the technical ability he's got, but how well he's applied himself this year. And you're starting to see he is that he is that talismanic player that you think, you know, if we've got your head on the pitch, we've got a chance against anyone. Because you look at I the goal at Hill, the free kick, the goals that he's contributed this year have been absolutely fantastic. And I think you're now seeing Robbie Muirhead click. And I think without wanting to put without wanting to barrel pressure on him next year, you could see him having absolutely phenomenal next year. And I, I think he'll absolutely deserve it. When was the last time you went into a season? Well, not into a season, because I know we're not into a season, right? When was the last time in May that you were thinking about the season ahead and you, were, you had two centre-forwards for Morton and you thought, oh, fuck, happy with them? I can't. I don't know when the last time was. It's a really rhetorical question because I, I don't think I will be able to answer um, it. I don't think I, I can't remember that ever happening. Prob- probably the 11, 12, heading into 12, 13. Did we have, did we well, have him signed well, up? Well, Pizzo was still signed so up I mean, at that at point. That's what I mean. Uh, this, this early, like how, how great that is. Was it yeah. Pizzo well, well, and Andy Jackson in 11, yeah. 12, wasn't it? Yeah, Pizzo and Andy Jackson were both on two year deals, although I think we actually yeah. punted Andy Jackson that summer anyway. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Aye. Yeah, Aye. you're possibly going back to, uh, despite how uh, the 3 4 season had ended, we did still have Weatherson and Williams under contract going into the next season. So, uh, Which is possibly then. So you're possibly going back 20 years Aye. before yeah. Toto would be in a position of supporters like us going, what two options for centre-forward are? Aye, tick the box. Nothing needing upgraded there. We're happy with that. That's mad. Yep. Great mad, but mad. Like, I want to move you on. Obviously, rearranged game against Air, 3-1 at Capolo, Really disappointing night. What was your kind of take on that one, Stephen? Really disappointing night is nail and head situation there. Um, aye, it was one of them ones. That was it. That was a Tuesday after the two each game at Ockleview, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was one of them ones. There was there was quite a lot of um, goodwill on social media. A lot of kind of buzz. We were up round about the top of the league. A lot of the. A lot of kind of happy, clappy, um, let's do this type posts, which I'm all for. I probably had a few myself, right? Um, but there was quite a buzz going into them games. Um, Queen's Park almost kind of just 
leveled it off a wee bit, not much, but because we came back from 2-0 down, we drew two each, it was a kind of put it on ice a wee bit, going into that air game, still had a bit of that good feel, good feeling, and then, yeah, it was just disappointing, like, wasn't a fun night, um, really not a fun night, Sean McGinty scored, gave it to the cow shed, fair enough, that was one of my abiding memories of that night, is um, one of them situations of, I absolutely despised that that guy scored by us, wasn't a fan of him celebrating in front of me, but I was very much like, absolutely fair play to the guy he'd been getting called all the names under the sun um, whether or not fans thought that was right or wrong that was their opinion but absolutely fair play to him for giving it back but that was a rotten memory that I felt he was in the right and he'd fair game to do that Aye, it was not a fun night did not enjoy that game at all anything to add to that Craig? Uh, oh, I think Stephen's covered it very well um, there was actually going into that game as well quite a lot of doom and gloom among Air fans they were not in a great run themselves and there was the feeling that it, it could have been like fatal to their season if if we'd beaten them that, that night. But I not for the first time this season. Um, I air much like our both just bullied us in midfield. That is something worth saying. There's this conception of big bad physical Morton among fans of other clubs. You hear opposition managers play up to it a lot, and recently um, managers maybe are yes. Terrible wee shame for Owen Coyle, that. Um, yes. but, but, but yeah, I think you can see that with... We, we lost five games at home all season. Four of them being our broth in air is proof enough of if teams turn games into a big physical scrap in midfield, we can't cope with it. And yes, we are, for all, we are very, very mobile. We're very mobile in midfield. I think that it's something we'll kind of get onto, but you do look at our lack of height. In that, in that area, and our lack of physicality has definitely cost us points this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes, you want, yes, you want ideally someone with uh, the, the build of Eric Bartolo and the footballing ability of Andy Murdoch. Um, or yes, just Alan <laughs> So, tell you what, next one that I've kind of got down, just looking at the time at the moment, see so then, look, kind of draw against Partick, draw against the Bros. Inverness game we've kind of mentioned. Next one I want to get to is the, the three all up at Dundee. You were obviously up at that one, Dodge. What was what was your kind of take on it? Again, just how have they not won that? Um, it's got to have been the most complete performance going forward anyway that I've yeah. seen from Morton in my time covering the club. Um, and that's including your couple of high-scoring wins before lockdown. Um, it was... The one, the one thing I take away from that game is that there was so little between the sides and... You come away from the game going, there were six goals scored and five of them were the same set piece and the same goal. The other one was from a second phase of a set piece. So um, you're just sitting there going, how is that? How? I don't know. Um, I'm still pretty gutted about that because that would have been Morton's first win at Dens in 12 years, I think, if I remember. Was it 1-0 on Boxing Day up there? 1-0 I think so. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been first one in yeah. 12 years and it would have been a second, it would have been naturally a second one against Dundee this season. Um, and it would have, at that point, like that would have put you right in the mix for playoffs and again, 2020 hindsight, could have been in a title fight, you know, with the way things finished. Um, you've went from euphoria to head and hands in the space of 15 minutes. It's just the second, second Bairdy gets that goal. Yeah. You're sitting going, right, this is, it's, this is happening. Um, and I know you will maybe hold it against me that I've gone, oh, there's, I think it was Partick were getting beat at that point as well. 
then what happens a minute later, Partick go and score, then they go and get a winner, and then obviously the two goals go in, and you're sitting going, actually I can quote it, he's right, you, you, you specifically went, fuck off Dodge, um, is what you said. Um, to be fair, I do that. Quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even say weekly, I'd say it's a daily occurrence. Um, and, and they're all justified, to be fair. I don't blame you either. Um, <laughs> it, but it was the way that it was the way that results swung that day. In that, uh, yeah, in, was, that in that like three minute period yeah. of you've yeah. like like we said three one up to then things were just going not for us for us at all. Like, um, but see to be a, a glass half full kind of guy, you take the positive from that because you no know, many teams have went up to Dens Park this season and took three off them and should have won. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and, and then obviously you're looking, you're looking at it. You're looking at it from a critical point of view, and you go right three 0 or sorry three one, and you've bulged it up. Like that's just unacceptable at any yeah, level I mean, of football. If we are going to be be positive about it, being in mind the results against Dundee's Park aren't something that we missed out on playoffs. No, absolutely. Not. No, definitely not. You know our results against the our result. You're maybe looking the three one at air was the three one at home airs the real disappointing one. You obviously look they're all looking we take off Partick earlier. Probably the 0-0 against Partick at home, that was a game that really could have done with another two points from. But no, I think if if we are gonna if we are gonna delve into why we didn't play us, which to be honest I'm not overly keen to do, but you do look it it hasn't been those results that have kept us out. Our both results and performances against the most successful teams in this league by and large have been fantastic this year. Aye. We just we just left ourselves that wee bit too much to do. Um, because you think on it, well, last um, six games, um, I think there's last six games. Am I, am I right? Last six games started from air away. Am I right? Aye. Yeah. 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 So we're last, we're last, we're last six games undefeated. Two of the away games that were draws are away to air and away to Dundee. So if you're drawing away to the teams up running amongst you, usually you're like, good enough. Yep. Happy with that. We've won the other four games, including at home to the then a team who were winning penultimate game of the season a team that if they won they went top of the league like big wins do you know what I mean big one away to Cove as well um, big one against relegation threatened Hamilton so that last six game it was just with like, the wee run of games before it we left ourselves that wee bit too much work to do um, too late because that record other than with six games is, is not terrible in the slightest very very good six games on general but that Dundee game was yeah that is like just I. Another one of them games that was getting mentioned earlier, if we'd won that game, or if we'd won that game, which, as you said, we could do all night. But yeah, another big what if. I'm going to get that on my headstone. Stephen Maialene, there we quote under it. What if? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's... I also think there's a little bit of me that doesn't want to delve too much into what if. Yeah. And over under it, because I think it would ultimately take the gloss off of what has been in absolutely, absolutely. The team and, and I think you'd also drive yourself insane. Yeah, it? So the, no the team, the team deserves yeah. the team deserves our eye. There's a lot of what if, but let's talk about the what happens um, type attitude, which yeah. I think we all have done right. As much as I give you a what if, I usually try and caveat it with let's talk about some positive as well. But aye, you're right. The team deserves because, as I said, yeah, we can what if Dundee, but then we can go yeah, but what if you go and win the three games after it? Uh, which we did. Aye, you know, that positive. What if we don't? What if we don't scrap the ball home against Cove to score a second? It, there's no point. And I think it's. Yeah. I would rather enjoy the fact that we went into this season with probably a League One budget, and we went into it with twelve players. Budget. You started with 12, yeah. twelve players in the squad, and a manager so sitting on national radio saying, well, "I don't know if there's going to be any more signings after this." Yeah, aye, it was it was absolutely to, a shambles situation. 
to within ten we goals were, of we were ten one goals a point of second. Yeah, of, and we had one injury away from asking an eighteen-year-old central midfielder to be a championship left back. That yeah. that was that was the situation that we went into this season in. And yeah, I think it, I don't think it would do justice to how successful this season no. on the park and off the park to to get too caught up on that because I think Emery Millen. All the players, everyone that's played their part in this successful, absolutely should give themselves a pat on the back and really rear themselves up to go again next season. Because I kind of want to get into what our expectations should be for next. Um, what what are you anticipating next year, Craig? I well, just uh, before I get into that, just to echo what all you are saying there, I it's entirely natural to go into what if moments after a league table that's so tight. But see when you look at look at this league. And the ridiculously high points total it's taken to get into the into the playoffs. Fifty seven points yeah. would usually get you there. And there's the upshot of that of yes, we can turn around and say, Ugh, what if this one game? What if we see it out at Dundee? What if we don't lose a daft goal and miss a dozen sitters at our growth? But you know what? Air Queen's Park and Partick fans can point to what if moments that would have made them champions. Inverness can point to what if moments that could have had them in the playoffs. Like, like, what if we didn't appoint Billy Dodds? <laughs> yes, that, that being a very significant one. Right. And you can, yeah, and you can flip that around the other way. What if we didn't get a nonsense penalty awarded to us away at Hamilton um, type of thing? Yeah. So it, it goes both ways, and I, there's no point dwelling on it. But yes, and that, that does lead into thoughts on next season, because as we've touched on already, we have the core of a squad together already. That's an absolutely huge advantage. I think we said in the part one record, after that first eight games, we only had eight points. We were in eighth place. There was a squad still gelling then. Now we have the core of a squad together already. We should be in a position to hit the ground running this season. We've already taken 57 points in this division. If we just have a better first quarter and go with sort of a similar standard of performance throughout the season, we should absolutely be making the top four. And... Aye, look, there's always a context. We don't even know which other team are in the division yet. You don't know how the squad's going to look, what out-of-contract players are going to stay, particularly thinking of Liam Grimshaw here as a guy who's cleaned up player of the season awards. But yeah, we we absolutely have a platform to go and push for the playoffs again. And that's why, I obviously you can sit there and be gutted about missing out on the playoffs and goal difference. But to me, this season really feels more like something to build on than a missed opportunity in itself. Because you look at other sort of good seasons that we've had at this level. So you look at when we finished second in 12-13, it felt like that season was built on sand. And it was because, aye, there was one season of sort of handed out maybe bigger contracts than we, than we usually would to guys like Martin Hardy. There were, it was a quite old squad with lots of guys on one-year deals. Also in a championship with no playoff. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this is something being built. You've got a squad that could stay together for years. You've got a young manager who has been absolutely terrific from day one. And by the way, come the end of the season, his own league record as manager. The only modern managers in our history with better second-tier records than him are Hal Stewart, Benny Rooney and Tommy McLean, all of whom won it. So we do know that aye, the Premiership season hasn't even finished yet. You don't know if managers' jobs are going to be available, what they are. If Emery would be interested, obviously, you'd think his record is going to be a thing that turns heads from bigger clubs, and rightly so. But aye, we've got the makings of building something really special here. And 
aye, let's hope he's he's still around for a few years to come because a manager with this record so far, a squad that's moving in the right direction, I've never been so excited for the following season. Yeah. So close to the end of the previous one. I think Craig's, yeah, Craig's spot on there. And I think there's there's some important caveats. Um, obviously, we all know that Dalrada found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which essentially funded Liam Grimshaw and Robbie Crawford and other signings, etc. going on. But realistically, the two players that really kicked us on this season. Um, I'm not saying we wouldn't have been up there. I'm not not saying that at all. We, who knows where it's, again, a big what-if. Who knows where we'd have been, right? Um, but they were massive for us, right? Massive players. And oh, yeah. uh, we, can, we really can't understate that, right? Um, but the board put the manager in a position less than a year ago now, end of June, start of July, whatever, um, when we played that game where we had the one sub all the guys, so that wasn't the board to put all the guys out injured and suspended, whatever, that's a different matter. But the manager was in a position of, I don't know if there'll be any more signings because we can look at sustainability, we can look at breaking even, all these things, and, and, and maybe rightly, not saying it's wrongly, but the board had decided that the manager was in a position where he was really, really robbing for Peter to pay Paul right at the very, very start of it. Um, so, provided that the, the board actually give the manager um, what is due, what we should be getting and what give us a budget to compete. I completely feel the way that Craig feels um, because I do have so much confidence in him. Um, yeah, yeah, there's been a couple of signings that haven't worked out. As football, no manager ever has signed every single player and everybody's thought he was a great player. But the massive majority of signings have really, really worked. And also some of the players that he has had, as I've mentioned earlier about um, Craig's friend McGrath and how much he's came on so much under the manager. Other players, I, I felt, have came on under the manager, um, even Baird, for example, uh, manager signed him. That as the season went on, he was just getting better and better. Um, to as I, I mentioned to you guys, that a few maybe say six weeks before the end of the season, I'd have voted Grimshaw for Player of the Year. But the time it got to the end of the season, I just thought Baird pipped him for me. Um, that progression of players, the manager's clearly doing a great job. But we need, yeah. we need the club to back him properly, um, and that was always one of my fears when. MCT, of which I am a member, but when MCT took over, of where do we get that extra boost from to back a manager, etc. And in the current situation, we've got the Dalrada pot of gold, which is, is doing that. And I hope that that continues, obviously. But that's always that wee caveat in the back of my head of we need to maintain that type of thing happening because that's your Liam Grimshaws, your Robbie Crawfords. They're the players we want to see, right? We, we yeah. want these players. We don't want... 10 different players that can play anywhere along the front line in a squad of 27, <laughs> right? Most of which most of which went downwards after they left us, right? We don't want that. We, we, we want to be gone in the days of players leaving us and ending up at, no disrespect to these clubs, but ending up at League 1, League 2 clubs. We play them in a cup a year later and it's a wee bit of, oh, mind him, he played eight games for us two years ago. We had that for years. We want to be seeing players that leave us and go on to bigger and better things. And that's no disrespect to us as well. We want more players like, for example, like Grimshaw. He, Grimshaw is the absolute poster boy for Martin at the moment. You come here, you actually enhance your reputation. You go on, you yeah. get that deal that maybe last year, you maybe weren't getting that deal with Livingston, for example, for whatever reason. But now you are because of your, what you've done with us. Um, Jamie Brandon, although it didn't work out for him, right? I, I don't know, he's been injured, whatever. But he was an example of last season that the manager managed to do that with as well. Came here, you, you do that well, that you actually get back to that level that you think you should be at. Um, but 
to get them in in the first place, you've got to put up a bit of collateral. You've got to entice these guys in as well because other teams at our level, again, for example, Partick Thistle said, right, they're always going to have more money than us. So they, they can say Liam Grimshaw, again, for example, if we hadn't come in from, they're the type of club that he would have maybe ended up at, but we've obviously been able to give him enough to entice him, provided with the manager saying, I'll do this for you, I'll do that for you, I'll do this, you'll do that. Um, but I, so I just, I think that's a strong caveat that we need to see how it goes I, and I, I, if the manager's budget's reduced and if things like that happens I, I don't know that I'm just hypothetically speculating we can't have it I think we can't have it be too doom and gloom of of God's sake that's as we're going to be a relegation material again because he's he's bought so much in the bank that even with the low budget because you look at the players they brought in in the low budget times right as I said like Katongo for example not, none of us were 100% sure of Jai Katongo resign if anybody says they were then they're at it right Everybody was a wee yeah. bit like, I hope it turns out well. Aye, I, 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 he's a good player. I, I hope it turns out well. Um, not sure, not sure how it will go. Gillespie, a lot of us were like, mm, don't know how that's going to go. Hope it turns out well. So even in the low, the low budget era of this season, the manager got us some really good players for the season. So yeah, confident in the manager, confident in the team, and optimistic for the season ahead. Uh, provided the rumoured friendly against St Mun doesn't go ahead, because that will take all optimism out of my soul playing them in a friendly. Um, yeah, can we just put it on the record? Why stop. don't we go to Sydney and play it? Do you know what I mean? Like, honest to God. <laughs> just th- th- This is another reason to want... Yeah, I'm not sitting on the fence with that yeah, one. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to hold. Speaking of foreign friendly games, it absolutely worries me that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney are going to see Liam Grimshaw playing five-a-sides or seven-a-sides for, what, three, four games or whatever. Because if he's that good, then like, Liam Grimshaw is your player that's first picked for your seven-a-side team every day of the week. So... I don't know, as much as it would be good for him to kick on to Morton and go to someone like Wrexham, I also would quite like to see him next year at Capelo. Oh, know? I'd love to see him, but I've kind of, that's yeah. one of them ones I've kind of wrote off in my head. Like, I, I, yeah, I, you know I will be so pleasantly surprised. Um, it would be amazing, I'd be delighted if he stayed, mm. but I've kind of already wrote him off in my head that he prob- he, he should be playing for better than us. If he can swap the Dildara well. dollars for McElhenney's millions, then fair enough. Dildara dollars are like the Dingo dollars, aren't they? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I think we were, we were very, very lucky that Grimshaw came to the club in the first place. We've then had an absolute lightning struck twice, signed on in January. He deserves to go and test himself at a higher level now. And you'll almost, yeah, I would be absolutely doing backflips if we keep him. But I mean, you, you could maybe tempt him. If, I don't think for a minute that we would ever say this openly. But see if behind the scenes Dougie is saying to players, listen, you signed with me next year. We've got the core of your squad here. You, you could finish this year with a medal. I've got no doubt in my mind that I'm going to be saying that to players behind the scenes. And Not even that, just things like gentlemen's agreement that if a team in the higher division comes in for you and it's yeah. right for us, but go. I think to get back to what you'd say, there's absolutely everything to be optimistic heading into next year. The building blocks have been put in place off the park. You know, we've got the best manager that, that we've ever had. You're now looking, yeah, there's absolutely no reason. You, you look at the teams that are coming up, I think Dunfermline are going to be big players. Going through, going through League One and one in a fantastically competitive League One is a great achievement. I think they'll step up and do well. I don't know about Clyde Bank. I think they'll step up. Yeah, I think they'll maybe struggle with the with the adjustment. But I think the one thing that I'll say about this Morton team is we've got absolutely nothing to fear from the club coming down the way. Whether it is Dundee United, whoever it may be, I've got absolutely no, no doubt in my mind that we can give ourselves a give ourselves a fighting chance against anyone that comes down. So yeah. 
absolutely positive. I quite like the start now, but like we said, like Stephen eloquently put it there, yes, get that St Mirren to fuck, please. Yeah, that's that's one of them situations where I, I try and um, be as polite as possible and respectful to members of the board. Um, as soon as I'm standing up at court there, don't I? Um, but uh, I try and be as polite as possible and give people their place. Um, and where I think they've done absolutely ridiculous things, I try not to say it in as many words. However, in this situation, playing a friendly against St Mon is, to me, is completely and utterly going for the quick buck, yeah. which... I just, I just, I just hope we draw them in the league cup, and then we don't have the friendly anyway. Because I'd imagine both clubs would just say, "Nah, friendly's not going ahead because we're playing it." What we bit some mum, but we're playing it and each other in the league cup. I'd hope that happens. It, if, it would also mean that they'll fail to get into Europe. Which yes, listen, yes, give them in the see, if they, see if they want to play them. Buddy, bring the Renfrewshire Cup back as an under twenty ones competition. Play it's two legs. One at one at Love Street or whatever it's called now. The Smyser Stadium, one there, one at Capelo, right? See our under-21s playing St Murder under-21s, you're still going to get a few hundred people there, right? You're going to get 500 people like that. You might get a wee quick buck there, not as much money as you would get for a full-blown friendly against them, but you'd still get something and it still keeps the prestige, if that's the right word, of the rivalry, etc., intact and also stops us looking a bit tin pot of there's were big neighbours can you come to our house and play a wee game of football and we'll try and make some money charity like of them coming to us for a friendly like the same way you would when back in the day when rangers used to play at us all the time for players as testimonials as a good favour for the lads there that's great that'll make him a few bob it stinks of that of st Mun doing us a good favour we morton be patting the head stinks of them doing us a good favour because we warm up against we morton all days we'll get a 90 minutes on my legs stinks hate it get it in the bin as you said set the bin on fire put the bin out the back pour water on it then put it in the wheelie bin that's what you do with it so sorry that's me so, gentlemen, that was, yes, an excellent an excellent coverage of the, the second part of the season. If you head over to the forum, part two of Russell's season review will be live by the time you listen to this. Part three will be live you know, later on. That's a three-parter that Russell was very kindly put together for us. So, yes, head over to the forum. Make sure you give that a read. We are looking at some topics of conversation. There's obviously a bit of debate around the potential structuring of the, the pyramid, which we're going to get some coverage of more details on that in the next couple of weeks, but we will draw a line under our season review podcast there, so Mr Dodds, thank you very much for coming on. Pleasure was all mine mate, thank you very much. And Stephen, thank you very much. No thanks, thanks for having me lads. And yes, Greg, if you're still alive and your wedding hasn't caught up with you, then very well done and thank you for coming on. I feel brilliant Dean, thank you very much. No, cheers for having us. <laughs> just see if you're not feeling too good. Just go in a quiet room and just think about some of your best moments with Lewis McGrattan this season. <laughs> oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> that'll, get you, that'll get you through the night. Just watch us pass the King against Hamilton on a loop. Just a, a gift, make a gift of it and just put it on your phone. And just stare at your phone on loop. And Craig, as I said, I, I really do like the guy, right? I think he's a great player. And I also think the wee guys gets head screwed right on, which I think is massively important, right? But see when he scores a hat trick. absolutely does. See when he scores a hat trick in next season's Scottish Cup final for us. I'm going to be, other than myself and all my years of supporting Martin and my friends and family, the person I'm going to be happy for the most is Craig Dunning. If that happens, I expect, <laughs> I expect a personalised message from him. I think he might give you his medal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. And yes, just before we go, obviously, massive thanks to 
all of our panellists, everyone that listens, everyone that shares the podcast, everyone that reads it, it makes a massive, massive difference. And yeah, you know, considering the, the first couple of seasons that we had of the podcast, it wasn't always the most enjoyable time supporting Morton and it's been a fantastic to cover. So obviously massive thanks to, to Dougie and the players. And yeah, we'll be back. We'll be back. A couple of topics to discuss before then. But yeah, failing that, we'll be back with a, a season preview. Titans by Rum is inspired by Clydeside heritage and another Clyde's incredible scenery. Their carefully selected aged rums are infused with Scottish raspberries, golden syrup and exotic spices. Titans by Rum is blended using the finest Caledonian water while retaining its spiritual Caribbean DNA. Titan Spice Rum and Titan Orange Rum are available to order today. Visit titanspiritsltd.com to secure your order. Titan Spiced Rum Reggae Retro. Well, that's the show, folks. Remember to check out themortonforum.com for the latest Morton news, discussion and articles featuring the excellent match photography of GBR photographs. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and we'd love to hear your feedback or questions on any of our social platforms at the Morton Forum.